Welcome to episode 26 of Rock Writ. It's good to have you aboard as we explore the history of rock criticism and old school fanzine culture together. Immortalized in a Bell and Sebastian song, Chick Factor fanzine was started in 1992 by two friends, Gail O'Hara and Pam Berry. The mag's specialty is indie pop and all its permutations. Every issue is packed to the gills with content, all of it worth reading. Pam jumped ship after a few years, but Gail soldiers on, aided by her merry band of contributors. There's a warmth to Chick Factor, an inviting and inclusive posture. Certainly no rock critic elitism here. The highlight for me are the interviews. They're often long, loose, and revealing conversations, and the writers manage to establish a real rapport with their subjects. The reviews are whip-smart, and Gail's photos are exceptional. At one point in my conversation with Gail, you'll hear me struggling to locate a very basic word that describes the Chick Factor ethos, and that word is community. Community seems at the heart of the Chick Factor project. The contributors and interviewees are all regarded as family, and every new issue is an occasion for a massive release party to bring together like-minded folk. Chick Factor recently celebrated its 30th year with a 19th issue. It's Gail's first in a bunch of years and absolutely one of her best, all the more remarkable for the fact that nobody else is publishing 72-page music fanzines with tons of ads anymore. It's this weird relic of now, and you really need to get a copy. If, like me, you missed out on Chick Factor at the height of its popularity, it's not too late to catch up on three decades of crucial indie fandom. This interview, I think, is as good a place as any to start, so please enjoy this chat with Chick Factor's Gail O'Hara on Rock Rit. You grew up outside of D.C. You're in, was it somewhere in Virginia? Yeah, Northern Virginia. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Were you a hardcore kid? No, I went to high school with some some hardcore bands but um i i hung out with kids at there was just sort of like a very small population of people into new wave and punk at that time Mm -hmm. so um i knew people and i did go to some events like hardcore shows down on the mall um the the national mall where they had like rock against racism and rock against reagan and things like that so and there were shows like house parties and stuff like that. I wasn't going to like a ton of like cool discord shows or something, but I did know some hardcore bands. Yeah. You never had X's on your hand. No, I was like, um, I was like, an, I got to be like a new wave girl sort of at the end of high school. So like I spent a lot of time going to dance clubs in DC when I was younger and in college too. So like we would be listening to like the Smiths and everything but the girl and stuff like that during the day. And then at night we would go dance to like New Order and propaganda and stuff. Were there any local New Wave bands you were into? Um, In D.C.? um, hmm, That's a good question. I mean, I saw a lot of bands when I was younger of all. I, I liked all kinds of music. So I saw people like Robert Gordon, the, he's like a rockabilly guy. He would play with Link Ray and or Danny Gatton, stuff like that. Or I would see Kid Creole and the Coconuts. In high school, I was like much more sort of mainstream. And I went to a lot of classic rock concerts, like big concerts. And I guess locally too, but more, more like big name concerts. <laughs> what was the best big name concert you went to? Is this like Leonard Skinner? Oh my God. Many of them had died by the time they were. Uh, I was ready to see them, but I did see Led Zeppelin, and um, oh wow, that was exciting for a little child. And who else? Um, 
I mean, I, I saw, I was really into heart in high school and, oh, and uh, so I saw them. That was exciting. I don't know. Uh, I have a whole notebook full of old ticket stubs, so maybe I'll show it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And did you play music yourself at all? No, I, I took clarinet and piano as a child and I had a guitar in high school, but I never really learned it. Although I should have, cause I really, plenty of people tried to help me and I just never really, I just never really applied myself. So yeah, there was a famous guitar, guitar lesson where all four of the magnetic fields were in my apartment trying to teach me how to play Bella Lugosi's dead. <laughs> so that was that was a big moment that I should have kept going. Maybe I could have joined the band, you know? I think they're trying to recruit you from the sounds of four <laughs> of them, man. Jumping ahead quite a bit here, I guess. When did you meet your friend Pam Berry? When I was still in college a little bit, but I was almost finished. I worked at the Washington City Paper, the alternative weekly in DC. And um, Pam came, got a job there gosh, it must've been maybe 1990 or something. And so she, I was already working there. She got a job there and we became friends. And then I met all the other Slumberland people through her, like Mike Shulman and Dan Searing and the guys from Velocity Girl and Black Tambourine and all that. So I, um, Pam and I just got to be friends. And by the time I left City Paper, which was early, uh, sorry, 1992, um, I moved to New York City. And so that summer, um, Pam and I started the zine together. And a lot of, I think a lot of the fun, and it was just me going back to DC on the train. And then we would work on the zine. And then I would go back to New York. And yeah, so I was sort of a, um, I was a copy editor, but I wanted to be a music journalist more than Pam did. And so that's, that's why it's sort of a lot happened in the first three years. So, yeah. Who came up with the name Chick Factor? So there's a story on, um, there's a YouTube video about this actually, <laughs> but um, basically th there was a zine um, another zine around that time and they had interviewed a band we were friends with called Lorelei. They're another um, DC slumberland band. And in that interview, one of the members of the band started talking about how, when a band has, um, how it's cool when a band has the chick factor or if she's like a total babe or something. And it's like, you know, it was just some silly phrase that they used. And um, it, his name is Stephen Gardner. So he was like 16, maybe 15 or 16 at the time. You know, I wouldn't like we, we were just kind of making fun of it. Like, but but so um, even though we did interview lots of male musicians, we often did interview like the female bass player in the band who often didn't have a chance to speak. Mm -hmm. in, in other interviews. So, um, so the chick factor would be a reference to, yeah, the, the girl in the band. And at that time there were, there were a lot of bands that had one girl. So we would often want to talk to her. Were there other fanzines, magazines that you guys were looking to as far as like inspiration or models? I didn't know a ton about fanzines then as 
like I learned a lot more quickly by being a part of the zine world. Pam probably knew a lot more. She was much more involved in the sort of per, the community or the lifestyle of being a indie pop, pure listening person, whatever that means. And, um, and I was more, I was reading like the British music papers and option and stuff like that. I did discover, I'm not sure when, but I, I knew about, um, conflict zine and there were other zines around when we started when we started like um ben is dead or you know sassy magazine was around then and they were doing like zine of the month or something like that so a lot of people zine culture was definitely on our radar and there were there were a lot of like riot girl things happening around dc at that time so we did know about zines but um but yeah at the time that we started I probably didn't know as much about zines as I did like a month later, you know? So. Yeah. You had like a quick, deep kind of education on it. Yeah. And I mean, we met zine people then who I'm still friends with today, like Liz Clayton. She did a zine then she's still a friend. And there's lots of um, Mike McGonigal is another one. He's still making great zines. And um, absolutely. yeah, lots of people are still around today that we knew then. So <laughs> Luckily. <laughs> Would you say that you had a bigger influence on like Pam's taste or she had an influence on yours? Or was it pretty reciprocal or like in terms of your tastes? There was definitely a lot of crossover for sure. Um, I was, I would say like after I finished college and I wasn't, I didn't have access to college radio anymore to listen to records. I mean, you couldn't just turn on a computer and listen to music then like you can now. So if you bought a record, it was really a big financial risk. You know, if you didn't like it, it wasn't worth much when you traded it back in. Totally. So, um, so there was a lot of, um, you know, a lot of it, a lot of our friendship in those early days, I was probably learning a lot from Pam. I definitely feel like the sort of East coast pop scene at the time, which was um, small factory, um, Velvet Crush, Honey Bunch, all these bands, those, those bands were, Pam and her friends probably got me into that stuff. Um, we also, we all really liked the wedding present. And I remember like going up from DC to New York to go, um, or New Jersey to go record shopping at Pier Platters and go see shows at Maxwell's. And that was kind of our thing. So so there were bands around DC that I was aware of, like the Lilies and um, Lorelei and Black Tambourine. But, but yeah, there were definitely probably, it probably goes both ways. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think Pam at the time was a lot more of a purist about indie pop. If, um, so I was, after I moved to New York, a lot more inundated with all kinds of music. And there were certain things I would get into and put in the zine that I think she would have probably not put in there. <laughs> and so for, for example, like Liz Fair, maybe, or um, Luscious Jackson, something like that. I don't know if you even know who they are, but anyway, <laughs> so bands that like, they were outside of the indie pop sort of realm. And uh, so I, I think, you know, there were definitely a lot of bands that we agreed on. And nowadays I would say like our musical taste is still very much aligned. And, and I would say she's not like that as much. Like she's much more broad with what she 
and maybe she always was, but at the time, like in the zine, I don't think she would have always liked what I put in it. So <laughs> anyway, she is like the greatest person ever. Yeah. Like we're, yeah. I mean, she's just, she's just a creative genius. And like the music she was making back then was great. And always like, didn't, it never really had as big an audience as it should have, but, but she was just in a million bands and yeah, it was just a really fun time. There were a lot of um, friends of ours in DC that would have parties in their basements. And it was just a really fun time. Very um, pre-internet, just kind of like DIY scene happening. So I want to ask you about these chick factor parties because they seem like quite legendary and they would happen all over the place, not just in like New York, but in London, Portland, other cities as well. What's what's sort of behind that? Did that start at the beginning, like from issue one? Was it like, we're going to have a party with every issue? It didn't quite start that early, but we did give out our first issue at a show at Maxwell's in September 92. And then after that, I think I had a party in my apartment for the next couple of issues and we just gave them out to all of our friends. And then starting in fall of um, 93, I started putting on shows at under Acme and that's a venue in DC. And so um, I'm sorry, in New York city. Yeah. So mostly it was me putting on shows in New York at various places for, from probably 93 to 2003 when I moved away from New York. So I had just the sweetest deal where with under Acme, I think we, we paid $150 to rent out the space and that was it. And we could like do whatever we wanted within reason. And it was all ages and things like that. So we would, yeah, it was, it was very much like we were controlling our own thing and it was super fun. And, and I continued to put on shows over the years and at Fez, Mercury Lounge, Tonic, other venues in New York. And there were always just great people working there that would just give me a day and say, yeah, you can have, you know, September 12th or whatever. And we'll, they didn't even know what I was going to put on. They just trusted me that I would fill the room. <laughs> so it was really, it was really special. Um, so yeah, we always have had a launch party where we give, we gave out all the issues for free to all of everybody who came. And so I think in recent years, um, when I travel around for these shows, I can't do that because it's like really, I can't carry all the issues on a plane. <laughs> That's but, fair. Um, but also like, yeah, we just, we really just didn't earn any money off Chick Factor for many years. And I've spent so much money um, storing and shipping it and everything that nowadays I probably charge a little too much to make up for it but but it's a lot of work goes into it and the stuff I do all year round I really don't make any money off of Chick Factor I just you know it's all pretty much for the love so but yeah the Chick Factor parties like starting I think the biggest year we did was our 20th anniversary in 2012 and we had shows in London, New York, Portland, San Francisco, LA which was awful. We'll never do that again. <laughs> and um, I think that's it. Oh, DC, Arlington. Um, anyway, but yeah, it's really fun. Like a lot of times I can get people to play that never play or whatever, but I don't know. It's, it's 
some people think it's all about nostalgia, but I, I don't really think, think about it that way. Like to me, like having black tambourine play their first shows, like in 21 years, which we did in 2012, that was, that was amazing because they never really played any shows when they were around as a band in 1991 or whatever. Mm. So it was, a, it was like a public service. I think we were performing more than anything. But yeah, yeah, they're really fun parties. They're like basically like kind of like the best possible type of sort of high school reunion, you know, only with people that you want to see. So yeah, it's you know when often when you think of fanzines, you think of somebody just toiling away, working on something on their own. But this is like there's a social kind of family sort of feel to what you guys are up to in Chick Factor. There's like a fun. Like, let's make this an occasion to throw a party and bring a whole bunch of people together and get a band together that's not performed in a long time. There's a, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but there's a bringing together kind of aspect to it that is maybe goes against the grain of what some people think a zine is all about. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, and again, I, you know, I'm the main person behind it, but like, I'm just finishing up this issue and it's really a lot of people go into making this thing. It's not just me. And, you know, it's, it's, it takes a big community to do it, to also to read it, you know, and just participate in it in whatever way. So, yeah. At some point, I think around issue 10 or so, Pam Berry decided she couldn't, she didn't have time to be involved. How, how did that, what happens there? What, when did, when and why did Pam decide to leave Chick Factor? So Pam was in a lot of bands and she also, I mean, she really never wanted to do the, I mean, I don't think we ever expected it to be a thing that went on and on <laughs> for five years, let alone 30. But um, so she was just busy doing a lot of music stuff at that time and touring. Um, and also her, I believe she was doing a pretty big demanding job at the Washington city paper by then. Like she was like the, I don't know, operations manager or something. So yeah. So she left in 96 and I interviewed her in that issue or 95. I interviewed her in that issue that came out right after. So, I mean, she was fine with like me keeping, keeping it going, but I started working at, at timeout New York in 95. So my day job was much more demanding as well. So that's why I only put out about one issue a year after that um, for a while. But also like a lot of the stuff that I was doing in Chick Factor, I, I started doing at Time Out New York. So if you look back at like a lot of the old issues, there's, you know, Stephen Merritt writing about how to be a goth on Halloween or something, <laughs> or like Claudia Gonson interviewed um, Mo Tucker. And, you know, there's all kinds of musicians writing and you know, it's a very, it was a very fun time at, to be at timeout because pre 9-11, there was a lot of advertising money and we just had as much space as we wanted for the music section. So I worked there for four, four years as the music editor. Did it feel different when Pam left in terms of like, how, how did you, was it less fun to do Chick Factor, Chick Factor after No, what, what happened, I mean, Yes, in a way, but then I didn't have to go down to DC all the time on the train every yes. weekend. But um, no, what happened was I I had a friend in New York, LD Bechtal, who passed away, and he was a singer, um, a musician as well. He sang on sixty nine love songs, but he's a graphic designer, and so you can see around issue 
12, the graphic design improves greatly on Chick Factor. <laughs> and that is because of LD, um, a real graphic designer who helped me. And so for me, like after that, um, Chick Factor, you know, I, I got like some little tiny ridiculous Macintosh computer at the time <laughs> that was, that would now be hilarious to look at. And we would, we would um, work on Chick Factor usually in the summertime because LD and I both hate New York City summers. So we would just be indoors all summer working on Chick Factor. And yeah, so it just became more about my life in New York. And, but also Pam moved to London in um, 98. And so there was a lot of, um, I think 97, Pam and I took a, a trip over to Europe and there were a lot of people in our world who were part of this sort of indie pop list. It was like this early sort of internet group kind of thing before social media. <laughs> and, um, and there was also the sinister list, which is like the Bell and Sebastian fan nerd world. And so those things were part of our community. And some of those people are still in the chick factor universe as well. Like a few of them uh, just wrote, um, stuff for the latest chick factor so like there's a lot of there was a lot of crossover there was a lot more of a global um connection between all these bands i think that happened around that time like we were just we were more well known at, as a zine and so it was easier for we were finding out about a lot more music and yeah i don't know if i answered your question but yeah no absolutely <laughs> absolutely do but yeah, Pam, Pam is still my, my, one of my best friends and if not the best friend and, and we are still, you know, I still make, try to make her involved in every aspect of what I do, but she's a mom and she's busy and, you know, it's, she also hates to fly. Otherwise I would probably have her perform at more events that we've done. So yeah. <laughs> do you think Chick Factor has gotten its fair due over the years? I don't know. I, I think so. I, you know, I think they're like when, when we had our 20th anniversary, we had, a we got a lot of press and there's some, there's always some people who write about us and I just don't think they really get it or they don't really understand why it might be relevant now or whatever. But, you know, I try not to take it personally. Like I used to feel much more like I didn't, I wasn't included in the rock star, I'm sorry, the rock journalism games or something but I mean we started Chick Factor to be different from all of that and you know it's it's meaningful to a, a group of people that is that makes me feel like it's worth keeping doing it so I don't know so I guess I, I guess I do feel like there's a certain there's a lot of people who um, are dismissive about it and you know, that's fine. Not everyone likes what you do. That's okay. But I do think that it's gotten better, like the last few issues, like, I'm really proud of them. And I, so I kind of think that, um, you know, I think people should give it a chance again, if they didn't like it back then. But what are you going to do? You can't please everyone, right? <laughs> so, What do you think? You mentioned how you were trying to do something different from some of the other fanzines out there. What what were you sort of reacting against? What were you trying to sort of steer away from? 
we were very much Anglophiles and a lot of the music didn't come out in the US, you know, right away or ever. Um, so I think that we were, we were finding a space for our niche, for our group of people that like this kind of music. It just was it was just different from what a lot of other people were doing. And I guess what I mean is like, it wasn't grungy. It wasn't, I mean, there, when you, there's a lot of bands that were around at that time that were very different from what we liked, like, you know, whether it was like sort of heroin type bands on the Lower East Side or like the Butthole Surfers or something like that. Like, that's not our thing, you know, we liked what we liked. And so there is, there's a real dismissive kind of feeling when people talk about a lot of the music that we like, whether they call it twee or, you know, it's sort of like, it, a lot of people say um, derog- it, it feels derogatory, mm-hmm. but, you know, we liked what we like. And a lot of that music, like, you know, when I listen to The Wedding Present, I don't think it's twee. It's not twee at all. Like, it's just, you know. No, listen to those vocals. He's not twee. <laughs> he's not twee. So anyway, whatever. You know, it is It is what it is. But I do think we've, we have been pigeonholed a little bit in a way that makes me feel like we're not taken seriously or we're being dismissed. And, you know, I don't, I don't lay awake at night thinking about it, but I definitely have felt that kind of like, you know, at the same time, I was very much a part of the world, the music world in New York that, you know, there was probably a lot of politics and, you know, I don't know. It was just, a, it was just a weird time to be in New York. So I didn't like every band. And when I look back at, at my old journals from the old days, there's like someone corners me at a party and they want to know like why I didn't like their band or something, or they want to know what I thought of their record. And like, it's just a weird feeling to have like people wanting you to like listen to their music, but you're, you don't have time to listen to everything, you know, and you sort of listen to what you listen to. And this is a big thing. I still feel strongly about this now. I feel like, you know, the way people talk about um, music, the way that we all discover music these days, you know, somebody recently was saying like, you should be listening to only new music. Like, and it's like, well, why, why are you telling me what to do? You know, like, why are you influencing me? We don't tell people what books to read, you know, like, I mean, well, some people do, but you know, (laughs) in this country, they want to, but you know what I mean? Um, So I think that people should have the freedom to develop their musical taste, however they want. I think, you know, I'm really touched. Like every once in a while I meet someone and they say, you know, Chick Factor got, got me through high school or, you know, they used to write us letters and it's really, it, I'm kind of amazed, you know, that we made, that we made people aware of music that they like, and that's really great. So I feel like we did our, we did our job (laughs) as a zine, but yeah, it's always really complicated when, I mean, it's, it's a fanzine. So, you know, at the end of the day, we, we include and interview our friends and there's inside jokes. And some people, some people found that cliquey or snobbish or whatever, but, but, you know, it's, we were just doing, we were just trying to have some fun. And I mean, that's honestly one of the reasons that I just finished making this new issue with Jen Sabragia is that we wanted to make something fun for people to distract them away from what's going on in the world, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. It feels, Chick Factor feels like the opposite of snobbish to me. Like, 
For sure, there's inside stuff going on and, and conversations with friends and maybe some jokes that might sort of pass by people, but the the posture of it is totally like inviting and warm and fun, and it's not a typical rock snob publication at all. There were some very controversial moments here and there over the years, but again, it was like the very a very small world around yeah. us. So it would be like uh, Stephen Merritt wrote a nasty one-line review of some record, and then we, <laughs> we would have to see them the next night at a show or something, or you know, Gerard Cosloy would slag off some some album, and the people were people that we saw every night at Mercury Lounge or whatever, you know, <laughs> so, so there's a little bit of like that sort of stuff, but it was no, it was the same when I worked at Time Out New York that I would, I would have to make these sort of like calls all the time about, you know, am I doing this because I'm friends with the person or, you know, should we be covering the music that we're covering and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, yeah I had a coworker at, at Time Out New York and he would just, he would really put me under the microscope in terms of like what music we were covering. And it was like, well, you can't really, just because I'm friends with Yola Tango and, and uh, Magnetic Fields, you can't expect us to not cover them at all because I know them, you know, like, it's just ridiculous. That is silly. It's odd the stuff that people get strident and political about. Exactly. One thing that really stands out to me, and I'm sure other readers as well, are like the Chick Factor interviews. There's almost like this house style of interviews that Chick Factor has where you come up with like these insightful kind of questions coming from a different angle and avoid typical music journalist questions. You know, I don't think we really gave it much thought at the beginning, but um, it was really just conversations that we that we then edited down a little bit but you know we probably only edited out stuff that was like secret gossipy or whatever you know so mm -hmm. but I mean some of these people were our friends and I think like Pam Barry interviewed Bridget Cross from Unrest in the second issue and that that to me is such a perfect one because it's like they're they're just chatting they're like you know they're talking about thrifting and they're talking about, I mean it's just I think that is part of what made it resonate with people is like it was you know you feel you feel the sense you get to know someone a lot better when you see a conversation like that than you do when you read um, a traditional piece of music journalism where there's only a couple of quotes from the artist so I think that there is the chattiness and the sharing of information and all that which you know I think it just it just felt natural to us to, to include all that stuff but it was a lot of work like they like again before digital recording and everything like you really had to like transcribe a cassette tape like it's just so, yes. so brutal so um yeah but it was it was worth it and um yeah I mean I think it just um it is super fun and nowadays we do some of the interviews by um email and that works as well but but yeah just having those I think for me it was it was like a chance to sit down with someone that I admire and talk to them and not really feel shy about it because I was asking all the questions so it kind of it was a kind of a good way for me to kind of get over my shyness at that time. Mm -hmm. Would you go in armed with a lot of questions Gail or would you just have like a general idea of where you wanted the conversation to go or Make up I mean, we spot. definitely have a lot 
I mean, I used to bring 35 or 40 questions when I interviewed someone yeah. and, and um, I would definitely recommend anybody doing this to, to definitely be prepared because sometimes you look at the questions in the moment and they're just like, Oh God, I can't ask this. This is goofy or, <laughs> you know, or whatever. But there, there's also other times when you've really done your research and you forget your questions or whatever, and you just don't, you wing it and it works perfectly. And I think I, I am good at those as well, but I just would rather have a backup just in case. So I usually have a notebook with me or something. Did you prefer one-on-one interviews or more than one person? Any, any preferences there? Um, yeah, I think one person is enough. Um, usually it's, it's, I would say generally that's usually how, how we've done it, but, um, you know, we might do two people from the same band and do it separately, but, um, yeah, it's just like taking a photo. It's just much easier to focus on one person at a time. Did you have any, I have to ask, you've interviewed so many people. Did you have any interviews that just went poorly and were unusable because the person just was giving you one line answers? Um, no, not for Chick Factor. I did, you know, one of my most beloved musicians is Tracy Thorne from Everything But The Girl. And I did interview her once and everything seemed to go wrong. And it was in an off, I was at uh, Time Out New York in the office and it's just, everything seemed to go wrong and it just didn't come out the way I would have wanted. But I also just felt like I should have interviewed her for Chick Factor like much earlier in her career anyway. So it's okay. And then um, I interviewed Elvis Costello once in New York City for Time Out New York. And that was also really difficult because there was like an air conditioner that was making noise and I could barely hear his answers. And so that was really tricky. Oh, no. <laughs> it was really hard to transcribe, but yeah. Luckily it was, it was a short piece, but it was just like, I was, I'm a huge fan. And so I was just, you know, it was disappointing. So I interviewed Dionne Warwick over the phone once and she got a little snippy when I asked her about like the psychic network thing that she used to do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, people do what they do for money and she's an, I mean, she's a, you know, national treasure. So I definitely didn't mean to like upset her, but but yeah, you just never know. Um, I, I don't know. I think generally it's been great. So <laughs> there's, I mean, I've just been reading the back issues that you've kindly sent me and I ordered from another place. And there's so many interviews that you ought to be really proud of. The ones from issue 18, like you're talking about length, like the one with Kendra Smith and the softies. And then there's the one with the two ladies from the go-betweens as well are all really remarkable. I think you should be really proud. Thank you so much. Like that means a lot to me. And yeah, I really think that um, like national news outlets should have picked up on the fact that we snagged an interview with Kendra Smith because it was like really unusual. And, you know, I used to joke about it on Twitter that I was going to drive down into the California mountains and find her and interview her. And so when it actually happened, I was like, it was just very surreal. And um, yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing and the go-betweens women too like it it really meant a lot to me to be able to have them in chick factor so yeah and I think that issue is is really um, a great example of how different chick factor is now 
from, you know, not only is there just, is it just jammed with, you know, it's basically like coffee table book size. If you take all that stuff out and put it in like a regular font, you know, (laughs) but um, yeah, I'm really proud of that issue. And just, I loved how all of a lot of the bands that we interviewed were best friends and they were also making music together and sort of like life, lifelong friendships from different generations. And, uh, and I, I loved the fact that people were talking about aging and motherhood and things like that. So it was, yeah, I was really happy with that. And I think you're going to, you'll like the new issue too. So <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited. It sounds like possibly by the time people listen to this, I think the issue will be out, but it's a 30th anniversary issue, Gail. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's really great. And again, like, I feel like we've really, we've maybe achieved the best content in terms of diversity that we've ever been able to achieve, even though a few things fell through, but we still have, we have a good representation of nationalities and ages and people from different uh, races and queer people. And just, it's a good mix of people. And even one of the covers, we're going to do four covers again. And one of the people on the cover um, is a person of color photographed by a person of color. So that's exciting. So. <laughs> and is it still going to be something you have to read landscape orientation? It is, but I will tell you that we decided not to do it in lowercase this time. Okay. So that was really difficult because because half the people write it in lowercase now when they do something for me. So then we have to change it all back. But, um, but anyway, it's, it's a great issue. And I, I, yeah, I'm really excited to announce it and I'm really gonna, um, I'm about to print it out and then give it one last look, but we're almost, once we finalize the cover, we're, we're sending it to the printer. So we should have it, we should have it announced um, in April and out in May for sure. So. Excellent. Can't wait to check it out. You mentioned working at Time Out, and I know you worked at Spin as well, too. Can I ask you a bit about your time working at Spin in the early 90s? Sure. It seemed like I I was reading a couple of interviews with you, and you seemed appreciative of the time, like appreciative of what you were up to there. It doesn't sound like it was a perfect fit, but that you did learn some things. Is that fair? Yeah. So, I mean... When Spin first started in the 80s, it was actually a pretty good magazine. Um, I think that by the time I was working there, it had very, um, it was covering a lot of music that I really, I mean, it was covering a lot of the music that I also covered in Chick Factor, but um, yeah, it just, I just wasn't, I wasn't promoted there to like a creative job where I could be an editor and really help with the content and you know it's fine like i i think it prepared me to go on to a better job there were a few jobs i was offered when i left there but um yeah i mean it was a pretty goofy place and i don't know <laughs> a boys club for sure yeah so there were women and they were interns or they were like lower rung jobs or maybe in the art department or something but it definitely didn't feel like it had a great mix of it didn't feel like a lot of women were were choosing the content that went in it so it was 
but you know, I met people there who I'm still friends with. They were either like interns or, you know, whatever they they had some good stuff in it too, but I'm not really saying anything much here. So yeah, well, it sounds like it was a, a mixed experience for sure. Not the perfect. Okay. So one thing is like in, so I hired a number of people to work there as freelance copy editors, including um, Stephen Merritt. So that was hilarious. Like, so he came in, he came in and worked for me and we would just like kind of read the copy and kind of chuckle about it. And there was no real network of computers or anything. Like everything was just sort of, everyone had their separate computer and nothing was really set up for editing the way that things are now. But yeah, it was really funny to have him work there. And then there was, um, yeah, just a number of other people that sort of indie rock people. Um, Douglas Wolk, who has like a new book out about Marvel comics. He was another freelancer. Andrew Bojan, who's an editor at Washingtonian now. Um, and, you know, we, I would say like we all had kind of a, a blast working there, but there was also like some really hard stuff that happened as well. Like um, someone, I worked there when Kurt Cobain died and that was a really intense time to be there so yeah I'll write about it in my memoir one of these days I hope so yeah (laughs) did you end up writing anything at spin that you were proud of that you're really happy with and look back and say oh man I, I really got that right and are grateful you had the chance to do it um so I wrote a few little tiny things for spin like record reviews I was weirdly I was able to get it a review of a heavenly record in there, which is kind of hilarious. And, um, and a few other bands, like I think Boo Radley's and people like that. But um, generally it was just little stuff. I, I didn't do any big features. And I mean, really what happened was maybe six months after I started working there, um, we started Chick Factor. And so I just didn't really have any interest in, um, doing stuff for spin after that as much like I I liked doing chick factor because we could do it all our own way and um yeah it just wasn't as much fun to write for spin and also like the the editor-in-chief was fickle and had weird taste and I just he there was one story I'd written about Morrissey fans and fanzines and at the time Morrissey wasn't quite as hated as he is now. Sure. But, but um, so it was a cool story, but the, um, the editor in chief killed it and it just didn't make any sense to me. So that happened to be the same day that I went out to Maxwell's and we gave out Chick Factor. And I just had a real kind of moment of like, I don't need spin. So that's what mm-hmm. happened. I definitely benefited greatly from like working at spin in terms of like going to concerts and getting free records and all that. So it was great in that regard. What was time out New York? Like time out New York was kind of like bonkers. It's it launched in um, September 95. And so we were all part of the launch team and um, it was just really like, it was, it was really fun and kind of an insane undertaking to get this thing off the ground. But we really had, at a weekly magazine like that, you just have so much 
space for content every week. You have to fill a magazine every week. So it was wonderful to go there from a monthly magazine where you could barely get anything you wanted published to a, a weekly where you could publish whatever you wanted pretty much within reason. So it was really fun. It was a great, a great time in New York um, and a great, a great time to be interviewing people and writing about music and stuff. So yeah, it was really fun. Where do you discover new music these days, Gail? Mostly through people that I know, whether, I, I mean, I'm kind of a media junkie anyway, but like if, if you looked at my Twitter feed every day, it's just like, I basically don't miss anything that comes out because <laughs> there's, I follow everything. Yeah. So if something, so yeah, I mean, I just, my friends get excited about it or other writers that I know get excited about it. A lot of my friends are DJs or label owners or whatever. So it, I don't know. It's, I think I sort of fell out of, out of touch with music for a little while, but nowadays during COVID time, it's easy to keep up. So Bandcamp is the only platform that I use. I don't give my money to any others. Yeah. I think it's mostly through friends and record stores who do newsletters and things like that. Do you still pick up fanzines or music magazines like print ones? Granted, there's not that many out there. I did that more often when I was living in Portland. I don't live in Portland at the moment, but I would go to Powell's Books or there's a really great newsstand in Portland called City Reader. And I used to go and um, look at magazines there and occasionally buy a music one. But I do like buying them occasionally. If I do, it's often um, for like something like Shindig or uh, Big Takeover maybe uncut if they do like a special issue or something like that. Can I throw some rapid fire questions at you, Gail? <laughs> sure. Wrap sure. Up? Your favorite O'Hara. Who's your favorite famous O'Hara? Uh, wow, Frank, I guess. Favorite Canadian city? I really haven't spent nearly enough time, but let's just go with Vancouver because I like the look of it. Good call. Favorite decade for movies? Gosh, that's a tough one. <laughs> a lot of good decades. Oh my gosh. Let's just say the 80s. 80s is good. We'd also accept 70s and 40s. <laughs> very good. I like it. 40s were good too. Yeah, totally. Do you always take a book with you wherever you go? Are you that kind of person? Um, No, because I read for a living. I'm a copy editor. So a lot of times... My free time involves like looking out at, at things off in the distance and getting my eye, my vision away from the page. That's totally fair. <laughs> uh, when is the last time you've been inside a church? Wow, that's a great question. I don't know. I, don't know <laughs> <laughs> I used to go see some shows in churches in London, but it's, yeah, it's been a while, I guess. When is the last time you've been inside a Costco or a price club? I've never been to a price club. I don't even know what that is. Costco, I've only been to one time and I'll never go back. <laughs> Same goes for Walmart too. I'll never go to Walmart again, oh, ever. <laughs> Costco has some samples going for it. I'll give it that. I know people, people I know go there, but I just, it's just not for me. It's, it's not my jam, but we've got three young kids, <laughs> so I find myself there. Oh, yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> fun stuff. Lester Bangs or Richard Meltzer? Hmm. Bob Stanley? <laughs> Edith Frost or Edith P.F.? Hmm, that's a tough one, but I'm going to go with Frost. Nice. The Teen Idols or SOA? Um, teen Idols. Correct. Last one, Fanny or the Shags? The Shags. We'd have accepted both, but... <laughs> I need to see that Fanny film. <laughs> is there a Fanny film? There is, yeah. And I, I wanted to have it reviewed in Chick Factor, but as I realized, I can't have everything that I want. So it's, no, I not, mean, it's not separate. room for everything, but, but I still keep looking like, maybe I should replace this review with another review of this thing that we haven't reviewed. So anyway, but it's got a lot of great stuff in it. I'm very proud. And uh, yeah, I think people will enjoy it, so. And I just want to say, like, Jen, Jen Sabragia, who was in the Softies and All Girls Summer Fun Band, she's the designer of, of number 18 and now 19. And again, like, it, the feeling of um, living across the country from each other, but working on it together has been such a fun distraction from our regular freelance lives. So, like... I cannot recommend it enough. Like if you have a friend and you miss them and you want to do something like this, like, you know, maybe it's just how musicians feel when they're trying to make music from a distance, but it really is fun to like work on a project with somebody collaborate and uh, it makes you feel like you're hanging out with them. You know, I'm so glad it's still a blast for you to do this after. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. so fun. And it, it's weird that, um, uh, I was in DC this past weekend and uh, a friend of mine said, you know, I used to think of Chick Factor as like um, capturing a moment in time, but now I realize that that's not, that it's not that it's sort of ongoing. <laughs> I was like, yes, that is the truth. So maybe people will stop calling us a 90s zine one of these days. <laughs> so a big thank you to Gail O'Hara for taking the time to chat with us. Visit ChickFactor.com for exclusive online content and to order print issues of Chick Factor. We appreciate you checking us out. Keep in touch by following us on Twitter at RockRitPod. Always happy to hear from listeners. And if you're a fan of the show, please consider leaving a review. Thanks again. Take care. Until next time.